0: And welcome to another episode of What I Wish I'd Known, the Google Partners Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Lankshire, and on today's podcast, we're going to talk about inbound marketing with one of the standout experts in the field. Now, the term inbound marketing was first coined by HubSpot CEO Brian Halligan at the close of the last century. That's how long it's been around. I think that most of us are familiar with the general idea and approach, and many of us make use of it to some degree. But what are the specifics and what truly sets successful inbound apart from simply posting articles to your blog or writing content for your site or developing videos? What are the specific to-dos and best practices that we can adopt, adapt and leverage to drive growth for our clients and agencies? You know, I'm fascinated by inbound marketing because it's a marketing paradigm that is truly native to the web and search. It's grown and evolved a tremendous amount over the past 20 years. One branch of this evolutionary tree has yielded us a lot of the low-value content with clickbait titles that clutter way too many sites and searches, but at the other end is thoughtful, well-written, and well-optimized content that delivers great value to the reader. While that leaves a lot of room in the middle, it's no easy task to be successful at this practice. That's why I'm really privileged today to have as my guest Marcus Sheridan, who's a partner at Impact, an inbound marketing agency and the author of one of the definitive books, on inbound marketing. They ask, you answer. Welcome to the Google Partners Podcast, Marcus.
1: Alex, it is a pleasure to be here. I got a feeling we're gonna have a great conversation today, my friend.
0: (laughs) So do I, buddy, so do I. I think it's gonna be great. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Maybe you can give us a little bit of the backstory, because I, I think you started out in the pool business. So how do you go from the pool yeah. business to inbound marketing guru? Maybe you can share that with our listeners.
1: Yeah, so here's the, here's the quick story. I started in 2001 a swimming pool company with two friends, literally at the back of a pickup truck. And so we, you know, we just tried to grow the business, and we did somewhat, and we were just chugging along until 2008. And 2008, of course, is when the economy collapsed. Yeah. And we were in big trouble. And within 48 hours of the crash, we lost a quarter of a million dollars in business. You know, people that said they were gonna get a pool, they couldn't get the pool because they didn't have any confidence in the economy. And by January of 2009, we were literally looking over the edge of bankruptcy. I'd been overdrawn my bank account for over two weeks. And uh, I was really afraid. I talked to three consultants that month. They all said the same thing, you should file bankruptcy. And so I had to figure out a way how to save the company without really spending much money at all to do it. And uh, that's what's cool about stress and and pain (laughs) is it forces us outside of what the norms are, right? And so that's when I started to read about, like you said, inbound marketing, content marketing, digital. And uh, HubSpot was one of those places where I learned the most from. But you know, what's in my case, Alex, because I'm a simple guy, simple pool guy brain, this is what I heard. Basically, in all these articles and this educational stuff that I was reading, what I heard in my mind was, Marcus, if you just obsess over the questions your customers have and you're willing to address them individually, specifically on your website, through text and video, then you just might save your company. And so I adopted what I called at the time, they ask, you answer. In other words, I said, you know, to to my two business partners, we're going to be the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass pools. And so I brainstormed every single question that we had ever gotten. And I was in sales, I was one of our, I was really was our main sales guy at the time. And I had received hundreds of these questions over the years about pools. And so I brainstormed all of them. And then we started to answer them uh, transparently, thoroughly on the website through text and video. And to make a long story really short, it ended up becoming the most traffic swing pool website in the world. It saved the company. It exploded the business. And we started manufacturing pools as well. And now we'll probably be one of the largest manufacturers, not just builders, but manufacturers of fiberglass pools in the world within the next seven to 10 years. It's been an amazing ride. I still own the company. I'm just a third partner, as I've always been. But I spend all my time talking to cool people like you. That's what I do today.
0: Jeez. What an amazing story! It's uh, you know it's kind of a classic entrepreneur story too. If you think about it, you know um, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, you're forced to do something to kind of uh, faced with really difficult situation, and that spurred you know not just incremental growth but kind of a fundamental shift and paradigm shift well, in the way you looked at it. But
1: what's your what you're saying here, Alex, this is a big deal to all of us, because unfortunately, when it comes to the shift with digital, most companies don't move until they experience pain. And that's what's unfortunate. Like, this is why, you know, how you see these lists of, you know, it used to be that the average Fortune 500 company was there for like 15 years. And now yeah. they're there on average for like 15 months. Right. So, like, why is that? It's because they're being replaced so quickly. and It's because what happens is we become leaders of, of the previous way. Right. And because we become leaders of the previous way, we're slow to adopt the next way. And this is happening all the time with respect to digital. And the hope is, you know, when people listen to uh, a podcast like this, that even though they're successful, even though they're doing well and generating traffic lead sales, whatever, have good business, um, strong cash flow, that they say, what do I need to do to stay five to 10 years ahead of the marketplace and to match the way today's buyer, the way today's consumer is thinking. And really, to me, ultimately, that's what they ask you answers all about anyway.
0: Fantastic. Well, Marcus, you know what the premise of the podcast is. Uh, it's about what you wish you'd known starting out. And I think you probably have a ton of stuff to share with us. So let me ask yeah. it to you. You know, If you were starting off today, what would you wish you'd sit down and tell your younger Marcus self about, about inbound <laughs> marketing and, and building your business and, and growing client base?
1: Yeah, so I, I see this from from two lenses, right? So right. one of the lenses, of course, is my own experience, and then it's the lens of all the experiences that marketers around the world end agencies have had, right? Because I've gotten so many, you know, I started writing about this stuff at the end of 2009. And that's where some people say, how would you go from pool guy to, to this digital marketing agency called Impact? And so I started a company called The Sales Lion in late 2009, where I was writing my thoughts about this stuff. And then that started to get a following. And then I started to being asked to speak and, and to teach and consult on this stuff. And eventually The Sales Lion was acquired by a company called Impact. And now we have a 65 person agency. And so during this time, I've heard so many people say, geez, Marcus, this and this and this has gone wrong. And so that's what I want to talk about as we have this conversation. So the number one problem in the space right now, Mm -hmm. and what I wish everybody knew at the beginning was this, unless you have buy-in for inbound, it shall blow up in your face. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, it, it goes back to the you know typical Simon Sinek, what, how, why, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what we have right now is we've got all these CMOs and these marketing folks that realize, wow, there's this shift in digital. We've got to make these changes. We've got to sell differently. Marketing now has a greater influence on the sales process than selling actually does. But then when you go to, let's say, produce content, produce videos and do all these these things that help you become the most trusted voice in your space, Well, when you go to the sales team, when you go to the leadership team and say, help me participate with this, they push back and they say, well, that's your job. You're in marketing. I'm in sales or I'm in leadership or, you know, that's just not the way that we do it here in this space. And that's because they don't understand. They don't understand because they haven't been educated, right? They haven't been educated because what we have is a huge problem. You take all these big digital marketing events, let's call like inbound the conference Mm -hmm. or content marketing world or social media marketing world in these places. And I love going in these places when I speak and asking a simple question to the audience. What percentage of you are in marketing? And then I'll say, what percentage of you are in sales or leadership? And it's always less than 5% of the room is sales or leadership. And it's not until we start bringing sales and leadership to these marketing conferences that they will catch the vision. There's a direct correlation between the most successful case studies I've ever seen in the inbound space and the buy-in of the ownership team of that particular organization. And so unless you start right there, you're going to meet or be met with resistance along the entire way. So you can either go to these conferences, you can have people out to give a workshop to your team. You can beg your boss to read, they ask you answer or something like that. But either way, The issue is, and this is what's sad about it, and you know this as well, Alex, Mm. you've got great CMOs out there, but you can be a prophet to the world and nobody will listen to you in your hometown. And so you might be the best daggone CMO marketing mind and within your organization, you keep pitching to management, look, we could do these things. And if we do these things, we're gonna get phenomenal results. But because you work in the company, and this is what's so screwed up about the human psyche, because of the law of familiarity, they don't appreciate, what you have to say nearly as much as if they read it from some outside source. Sucks, but true. Okay, so that's number one.
0: I want to expand on this a little bit. So, one of the things that many marketing teams are focused on is brand. Um, they're focused on these kind of big strategic uh, brand building initiatives that are going to eventually drive sales. Uh, when I read, uh, questionably
1: speaking, we can,
0: we can debate that point. But when I no, read, no, no,
1: no, no. I'm saying you're right, Alex, but I'm saying is we say that will eventually drive sales. Well, yeah. Well, oftentimes that's not even what happens, right? Because they're so in the brandy fluffy space that it doesn't drive any sales at all.
0: So you're getting right to my point, which is they ask you answer is about what I call retail, you know, blocking and tackling of leveraging the tools that are out there to just go ahead and do it. It's like, it's small bore that adds up. Right. But it, and it's and it's really critical for today. So is it because it's almost unsexy? It's not a ribbon cutting. It's not a great big billboard out of home. It's not a super bowl spot. And therefore it just doesn't get quote unquote the respect that it deserves. Because it's a pretty fundamental approach today.
1: Well, I think one of the big issues is that it's called inbound marketing. All right. And so I learned a long time ago, if you want to get something improved in business, you call it sales. <laughs> if you want to get it rejected or tabled for later, you call it marketing. This is why, let me give you an example, this is why so many companies have a CRM, which is a tool that is built for your sales team to be more efficient, right? So, if you compare the amount of companies that have a CRM versus the amount of companies that have, quote, a marketing automation tool, like HubSpot, Marketo, Pardot, any of those, yep. well, my goodness, this is ridiculous. It's five to one. Yeah, yeah. And so. When we call something marketing, we automatically start to distance people from it, right? If you talked to to a business owner and you said, do you think inbound marketing is going to be relevant to your business in 20 years? They'll say, I don't know, it could be a fad. That's because they don't understand the definition, right? Inbound is about becoming the most trusted and therefore most attractive voice in your space because you constantly give so much value to the marketplace. Now, if you go to a business owner and you say, or CEO, and you say, do you think trust is going to be incredibly important to your business in 20 years? They're going to say, absolutely. If you go to them and say, do you think the ability to answer your customers' questions well, and really communicate that to the marketplace is going to be extremely relevant to your business in 20 years? They're going to say, oh man, absolutely. If you say, do you think it's imperative that your customers see you as an authority within the industry? Is that going to matter to your business in 20 years? you are going to say, absolutely. But if you say, is inbound marketing matter to your business in 20 years? They're going to say, I don't know. It's just a fad. And that's because of the semantics and words matter. So many people told me, dude, I read They Ask You Answer and I really finally got it. And that's because it wasn't written like a quote, marketing book, it didn't use marketing words. It's written from a sales lane. Everybody gets sales that has a business, everybody gets sales. And so if you start with sales, because inbound ultimately is a sales methodology that happens to include marketing principles with it. That's what it is today. And if you can help people see that, you're gonna get the buy-in that you need, your sales team's gonna wanna join in, and it's gonna be really, really fun. But otherwise, you're gonna be met with resistance.
0: Fantastic, okay, what's your point two?
1: Point two, now this continues down this road that, that really you're talking about, Alex, Because too much of the content that is being produced by companies is way too fluffy. And lots of it is like, make the world a better place content, like in terms of the style. But it's not addressing buyer-based questions. Ultimately, buyers care about five major things. I call them the big five. It's in the book. You've, you've heard all about it, but I'm going to address it here. Right. In other words, before before someone contacts a company or walks into a store, now this is B2B or B2C, service product, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. All buyers want to know five things so that they feel, quote, safe enough to start the conversation. And here's the five things all buyers want to know when they're looking at a product or service. They want to know how much is it? In other words, what are the the variables around cost and price? They want to know what are the negatives or the problems with it? They want to know how does it compare to everything else that they're also looking at? In other words, verses or comparisons. They want to know what everybody's saying about it, reviews. And they want to know what the best it is. In other words, what is the best, whatever that thing is that they're looking for. So we've got cost, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best. Those five subjects right there, Alex, Mm -hmm. literally move the economy in the way that we search. It doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or if we're looking for some vendor, for some piece of rocket part. It doesn't matter. It's the same deal. That's how we research the marketplace. And here's what's crazy. That's what's crazy. Most companies don't talk about those five things. Yeah. Not unless they're address, they're being asked directly in the sales process. And so, when a company understands content that moves the needle in the way buyers think, and that's really what they ask you answer is right. It's just what. Do they want to know what are the fears, worries, issues, concerns, questions, and are you willing to meet them where they are? And so you take all these things that you sell. So what are the most common questions we get about cost? What are the negative questions we get about what are the problems, the issues, the concerns that people have with it? What are people asking you to compare your product or service to with the other, let's call it brands or technologies or widgets in the marketplace? Are you willing to address those? in your digital content, in your messaging, because here's the deal. If you're not willing to address them, well, no, this somebody will. And so this is a choice that we all have. Let me give you a really, really simple example. People people used to ask me all the time when I was a pool guy, they would say, so Marcus, um, you know, I'm looking at your fiberglass pools, but I'm also looking at concrete pools. Tell me why should I choose fiberglass over concrete? Now here's what's crazy. This sounds so unbelievable, but it's utterly true. Almost every pool guy has gotten that question, fiberglass versus concrete pools. But yet when I started this process in 2009, almost nobody in the world had addressed that question on their website. And here's what fiberglass pool guy was thinking. This is their justification, Alex. Fiberglass pool guy saying, okay, our biggest competitor is concrete pools. And so this is how we're gonna deal with the problem. We're not even gonna talk about them on our website. And if we don't talk about concrete pools, well, then maybe nobody will know they exist. The dumbest logic in the history yeah. of the world, and every company in every industry suffers from this. Like, it's just really, it's, it's, it, this is, we tell ourselves these things when in reality, buyers aren't dumb consumers and buyers are no longer uninformed even the uninformed will eventually become the informed so the choice is do we address it or not so i have a question
0: for you which may be a little bit of an unfair question right so a lot of our listeners are digital agencies and there's a a, you know tremendous amount of competition in this space amongst agencies for client business so how would you in a service-based business where you know sometimes they don't control certain aspects of um the cost base right so you're buying buying media and buying advertising but how would you address the first two points around that which is cost and comparison because you know i think every every one of these agents are probably going to have case studies which are effectively reviews and they're going to say that they're the best and that they do things really well but those first two ones it's almost i would say Antithetical ethical to the entire uh, industry we just don't talk about that so can you can you give me some idea about how you might square that circle
1: okay of course i can so this is and this leads us to point three what i wish i'd okay, known great. because it, which is every company should be talking openly and honestly about money about money so so let's go down this road for a second And then we're going to come back to digital agencies, right? Because obviously I've consulted with a lot of um, digital agencies. Last year, we were HubSpot's 2017 partner of the year. Lots of these partners ask, you know, email me. is like, dude, Marcus, how do I handle this? Or how can I grow my business here? Okay. So let's first just look at how we are as humans and as buyers. So if I ask anybody that's listening to this, Have you researched online how much something costs? Let's say a service or a product. It's the same thing. And please, if you're listening to this, don't fool yourself into thinking it's different. Because when a buyer is going about making a buying decision for a service or product, it's fundamentally the same psyche that goes into it. And so everybody has researched online how much something costs. Everybody's listening to this. And so when you can't find anything about cost and price of that service or product. When you're researching online, what is the emotion you experience? Well, the emotion we all experience is frustration. So in that moment of frustration, we have some choices. We can either keep looking on that website and see if we can find the answer we're looking for. That never happens. We don't do that anymore. B, we can call the company directly and find out instead of, instead of continuing to research. That's almost unheard of today because we don't keep digging on the website. We don't like to call companies because we still want to get a sense for things before we do. And so instead of doing that, we continue to search. You search and I search. And we search until somebody is willing to give us a semblance of the answer. And whoever is willing to give us a semblance of the answer, generally speaking, that is almost always who we contact first. And oftentimes the one who we contact first is the one that gets our business. That's the same with the service or product anywhere around the world. Now here's what's crazy about that. We all behave that way at this point in time. Yet notwithstanding, almost all, at least 90% of service-based businesses do not talk about cost and price on their website. Now, there's three reasons why they justify it. And here are the three reasons why they don't talk about cost and price on their website. Number one, we all say, well, you see, Marcus, we have a very customized service offering. Every job is different. It's a very variable-based solution. Now, Here's what's so silly about that. If I came to any agency right now, let's say, and I said, can you help me understand the factors that would drive the cost of an engagement up? They would say, yeah, sure, I could, I could help you understand that. If I came to any agency and said, can you help me understand the factors that would keep the cost of a service or product down? They would say, yeah, of course, I can I can help you understand that. If I came to any agency and I said, look, you guys gave me a quote, but also got two other quotes from your competitors, and this is what I'm seeing. There's quite a delta in your industry. Some of you are expensive. Some of you are cheap. Can you help me understand why there's such a delta in the industry. And they're going to say, of course we can do that because every single agency has had to justify that over and over again. So this idea that, quote, it depends, that is the easiest one to explain to the marketplace. Because the sad reality is if you don't explain that what drives the factors up and down? You promote ignorance in the marketplace. And when you promote ignorance in the marketplace, then people end up hiring the cheapest guy, the cheapest company, which is oftentimes where the tragedy lies, right? And so unintentionally, because we don't talk about this, we end up commoditizing the thing that we started off saying, well, I don't want to talk about that because if I do, I will turn it into a commodity. Ignorance is what leads to the commoditization of services and products in and too many agencies, too many companies have allowed for ignorance to exist in the marketplace because they don't like to talk about cost and price. Now, that was the first reason why we don't talk about it. The second reason why we don't talk about cost and price is because we say, well, Marcus, we're a little bit more expensive than everybody else. And if we're more expensive, we just might scare them away. Again, that's false based on every single study on human psychology today. What scares us away with today's digital buyer is when they don't know, when they can't see it, when they don't have a sense for it. That's what scares people today. And so it's no different And I'm gonna give you a really, really simple example. And and somebody might say, Well, that's a that's a B2C example, Marcus. No, stop. It's just psychology. So for example, let's say that if you were going to go to a restaurant tonight, you're gonna take a loved one, you want it to be a great experience. Before you go to the restaurant, you're gonna do two things. Almost like all people today, you're gonna do two things before you go to ensure it's a great experience. Other than make a reservation, you're gonna look at reviews online, you're gonna go to the website, you're gonna look at the menu. That's the two things everybody does. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. If you go to the menu and there is no pricing, are you still gonna go? Now, what we have found over and over again is that 80% of people won't go at that point. And it's not because they can't afford it. It doesn't have anything to do with money. It's the fear of the unknown. The moment they left it blank, they planted a seed of doubt. And so you chose the route of least resistance, a place where you could have surety. No different than there's been times in your life when you're at that same restaurant, you wanted to order the lobster, but you didn't order the lobster because next to it, it said market price. And so instead of asking how much it was, you just didn't say anything to the server because you knew if you asked how much, Much it was, and you didn't order it, you would look cheap. And so instead we order something else. This is psychology. It's all the same thing. Now, somebody might say, agencies, Mark, it's not the same. Stop it, guys. Stop it. It's the same thing. So we have, as as I mentioned, I've got clients all over the world. More than half of them are B2B service based businesses. For over 90% of our clients, the number one traffic lead in sales generating content has to do with cost and price. That's the number one. That's the number one. Now, I didn't mention the the third reason why companies don't talk about cost and price. And that's because we don't want our competitors to use it against us, which again is so silly. Because if I go to any good sales team, any professional organization, and if I say to them, do you have a very good sense as to what your competitors charge? They're gonna say yes every single time. And so if you have a very good sense as to what your competitors charge, it therefore means, yes, they have a very good sense as to what you charge. You see, this is the big secret, non-secret. Everybody acts like nobody knows what everybody's charging, when in reality, everybody has a pretty solid sense as to what everybody is charging. This is crazy. This is crazy. And so besides that, when was the last time your competitors paid your bills? They don't. Yet we allow the competition in the fear that they might learn our secret sauce mm. to be the wall between us and that magical thing that we call trust with the marketplace. I don't get it, man. They don't keep the lights on. And until they start keeping your lights on, stop worrying about them. You know, I'm passionate about this and people can hear and say, well, this guy's over the top. I'm passionate because when you've looked at bankruptcy and I was looking at having my house taken from me and my two business partners were going to lose all their you know, physical possessions. And that's not the most important thing in the world, but that's pretty significant especially when we have a wife and kids at home and you follow these principles and it takes you from there to where a place where I am today where I own three different companies total financial peace all because I embrace this super simple philosophy of become the best teacher, best communicator in the world of what you do, and be willing to address the questions that nobody else in your space is. That has been the catalyst to this. And if you look at how these industries get keep getting flipped over on their head, this is the way that it works, yep. my man. You know, I mean, I've got, I've had all these, um, These uh, boating manufacturers that I've been speaking to recently, major ones that people have, anybody in the boating industry has heard of. The big debate right now is do we as manufacturers talk about pricing on the website? (laughs) Here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. One manufacturer a year ago did and allowed allowed the uh, consumer, the end user now, to build out that boat and get a relative MSRP on the actual price of the, the model that they were looking for. And guess what now everybody's having to do? They're having to fall in line because this is how it keeps working. You can either be the first one to move in your space and set the rules for everybody else, or you can be the one that is reactive that is therefore following the rules that all your competitors have made for you. I made the rules of the swimming pool industry. And because of that, we became the most trafficked swimming pool website in the world. We're the largest fiberglass pool builder in the United States, and we're going to be the largest manufacturer, like I I said, in seven to 10 years. We've done many of that same stuff, within the inbound space. So there's a reason why impact today is so successful, because we're willing to talk about things that other people are not willing to talk about. And so it's my hope that as people hear this, that they're gonna embrace this philosophy and start talking about at least what are the factors that drive it up and down? Why are some agencies so cheap? Why are some so expensive? What is the difference between the two? Don't allow your service to become commoditized.
0: So I wanna expand on that. So you talk about commoditization of services, and certainly a lot of people in the digital space understand that implicitly there's a, a, a almost a race to the bottom. Um, you talk about, uh, you know, trying to define some of the intangibles that are out there. And one of the key intangibles is this idea of value, right? So how do you avoid, uh, if you're, if, if, if I'm going on to a site, if I'm reading stuff, how do I communicate that value so that I'm not getting reduced to like these common aspects, which then creates that commoditization? How does an agency make sure that that value is exposed in such a way that even though I'm not interacting with you verbally on, on the phone, I, it comes through that there is a value portion of the equation that actually delivers a better outcome?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a couple of answers to this. Number one is point number four that I wish I would have, right? Which has to do with video. And we got to talk about video here in a minute because that's just a big deal, right? And this will transition us into that. But number two is you can't assume that people understand that thing that you sell and what makes it more or less expensive. And the moment you stop assuming and bring it down to its... to to its most basic, then people start to get it. Let me give you just a really silly example here. So let's say that you have a a digital Mm -hmm. marketing agency, and one of your services that you offer is content production for blog articles. Okay, the most basic stuff here. So there's a million and one outsourcing sites that will produce content for you. But what does that look like? Doesn't include a full-on interview with your subject matter experts. Is it guaranteed to be at least a thousand words? Because pretty much at this point, most blog articles—if you certainly—if you want them to rank on page one of anything, they have to be a thousand words or more. Because that's what the average number one ranked um, pages in search engine results, right? So that with our clients, almost all their content is above a thousand words, right? This is like the bare minimum of seven hundred. Most of these outsourcing places you go to four or five hundred. Does every single article include? the right SEO, the right best practices, the right internal linking structure, the right calls to action, does it include all that stuff or is it just flipping words and that's it? Does every single article that you produce have some type of customer experience or case study integrated into it so that the person that's reading it can see it and apply it to their own situation and their own problems, right? Like there's all these things that take something from a C article to make it an A. And I mean, I just touched on a few of them. And so do you take the time to show your prospects the difference between the two? Do you allow them to say, okay, here's your choice. You can have 500 word articles that look like this and they sound like this and they're fine and they're going to cost you 75 bucks a piece. Or you can have a thousand word pieces of content Here's what it looks like. Here's what it sounds like. Here's the difference. And these cost you 175 dollars a piece. Now, based on this, which do you feel is the best choice for you? You don't tell them what they should do. You allow them to self-select because that's what every business and every buyer wants. They want to they want to self-select. But you got to be so brutally honest to say we fall in the 175 dollar per article category or 500 dollar per article whatever it is, whatever it is. But you own it and you're proud of it, and because of that, it turns into a competitive advantage, not a disadvantage. What's crazy, Alex, is so many, you take two companies that have the exact same, let's call it pricing structure, and you talk to one of their salespeople, and one of the salesperson says on one company says, yeah, because we're more expensive, you know, I try to hold that conversation till later. Another person, another company says, yeah, because we're more expensive, I bring it up on the front end because it's a major competitive advantage against that cheap stuff that's out there. Same thing, you see what I'm saying, man. And so this is how companies have to think on the front end.
0: Fantastic. So for all of you listening, this is the first. I'm sure by now you can tell this interview with Marcus just contains an off the charts, number of amazing insights and actionable ideas. And, you know, we're really just only about halfway through. So it was about this point that I decided to just let the interview and spool at its own pace, give Marcus a ton of time to share his knowledge. I just thought if we had to, we'll just break this into a two-parter. And you know what? That's exactly what we've done. So you can catch the second half of this interview on our next podcast. If you like this one, um, please like, share, or leave a review. We really do appreciate your feedback. You can also like, share, or leave a review for any of our previous episodes, which are all available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and of course, Google Play.